0: Amen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How's everybody doing? Wonderful. Somebody clap. Amen. 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 Glad to be here. Slick out there, ain't it, on the road. Y'all ain't hitting nothing, did you? There ain't no hidden runs in the ministry, is it? You know I'm saying do we have to do some early arbitration for you. Um, I'm glad to be here today. I am operating on being up since 3 o'clock this morning I caught a red eye to get back to Philadelphia because I love this church so much. So I got to be home. I'm preaching. At first I was like, ah, last week I was like, huh? I was like, nah, I think I'm I, I, I'm, I'm, feeling good about what God's doing and I want to be in the pulpit for a little while and the elders are cool with it, so I'm going to keep doing it. Um, how y'all doing today? Y'all sure? All right, good, good, good. Good. Um, all of our couples in the last year that you got married or engaged, stand up. Everybody. 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 Married and engaged. Hey, Amen. Look at oh, B, You got her. Woo, look at you, girl. She come up She come up like this this morning. That's good. That's what's up. That's what's up. That's what's up. So many of y'all, I'm so glad for um, so many of y'all. And, you know, in the mighty name of Jesus, premarital counseling on you. The anointing of premarital counseling. I speak that right now in Jesus' mighty name. But now we believe, we believe in God to just see um, godly people, find godly people of the opposite sex. And get married and have children under the Lord's strength and raise them under the fear and admonition of the Lord. Any, any pregnancies that just happen. Speak now, or forever hold your peace. <laughs> <feast. laughs> uh, I'm just messing. I'm 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 so excited, glad to see um, couples come together, and um, I'm just excited about it. And so we had uh, Jake and Lydia. They were at the first gathering. And they just all hugged up together. It's so cute, and so I just love to love to see that. Just the just the um just a few things I wanna um um bring before you. Um, first off. Uh, I wanted to announce and us to work through the fact that we're a church planting church. How many of you know that? Amen. I always ask you that. I always ask you that. That's so important. Um, well, next Sunday, I want you to have your pockets ready. The 15th was yesterday. Amen. Some of y'all going to get that on the way home. Uh, and um, I want you to put some resources aside beyond your normal giving. Uh, pray. Ask God how much. And I want you to give above your normal giving to our church planting efforts all around the country, and um, and so because we we're 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 sowing into church plants, and as a matter of fact, it's crazy. Epiphany Camden just moved into their new facility today. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Some of y'all remember Pastor Doug running around here acting crazy, and and we finally let him loose, and he's over there, and the Lord is just using them, and they're doing a phenomenal job. And, It's nothing like planting something and watch it just grow and mature. People meet Jesus, disciples get made. I mean, that's great, right? And so um, be encouraged by that. But that's what we're giving to. Watson's next. He's next in the shoot. And then if Brandon don't mess up nothing, he's next after that. (laughs) And and then we got some people people in the line that we're going to be announcing over the next six months, a couple more. And I'm excited. Be praying about our internship program. Got some people here that are going to be in that. And so your resources are going directly to church planting both around the globe and within our city and through our country. And so make it a priority that you uh, that you resource this opportunity. If you're not even able to give next Sunday. Um, make sure that, by God's grace, you set some resources aside for this. The smallest amount, if you're a college student, you can do $5, whatever you can do, but I think it's very, very important to develop a lifestyle of giving. Don't ever say, I'm going to start giving when I get more money. If you're not giving with the money you got, you ain't going to give when you get more. And so, and so you, you, you want God to be able to trust you with the little. And, um, and, and when he knows you're about the kingdom with the little, he knows you'll be about the kingdom with the whole bunch. And so uh, keep that opportunity lifted up in prayer and keep all of those opportunities lifted up in prayers. I'll be over with Epiphany Camden uh, this afternoon celebrating with them a, l- a little while in their new tricked out facility with 50 inch screen TVs and carrying on. I told them we're going to cut support now, man. Y'all got 50 inch. They got them cheap. But I was just like, I'm, st- I'm still looking at y'all and carrying on. Um, but I'm excited about them and excited at what the Lord is doing. I got a chance just real quick at, a, at the conference I was speaking at yesterday. Um, just want to encourage our college students who are college age and, and also uh, master's program, PhD program, just to, just to stand firm in the faith. Especially those who at universities where the gospel is not tolerated. And um, I was with, at this conference and they were literally, I wish I would have thought through it. I got to start telling y'all when I'm going to be somewhere because some of y'all been getting on me but i think it would have been a really good opportunity for us to go as, as some of our college folk go because they they really were helping college students to think through how to engage culture with their degree and and how they should treat everything from medicine to beauty to art and treating it with sacredness and taking the sacredness of the gospel into all of those sectors and saturating it with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want you to be encouraged and remain faithful um, to believing the gospel all the way through. And if you're wrestling with the gospel and your belief because of some philo- philosophical fallacies, um, we want to walk with you through that. Let us know so we can give you some resources to sort of help you through that, because I've heard over the last few weeks, some of you voicing some of your desires to just make sure you remain rooted um, rooted in the gospel during this time and so we want to encourage you in that amen last thing I forgot uh, to uh, communicate is I'm excited that we have just about 100 people signed up for covenant community today <laughs> our largest covenant community to date and so I'm excited about the commitment of the people of God to the local church and for us to ferociously get at it for Jesus Christ's namesake and with being a member of a church that comes great responsibility, as Peter Parker's uncle would say. (laughs) Um, um, I think that as we think about this, it opens up a big question I'd like to ask uh, in relation to this. How many of you, by show of hands, would say that the American justice system is just? Zero ministry. Okay. Um, One person. Okay. Okay. How many of you say, it's sort of just? Okay, 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 okay. How many of you say, it's just not just at all? Wow, wow. It's funny, most of y'all on this side, the other people on this side. We gotta talk, we gotta talk, mix this thing up. Um, the reason why I ask is because, you know, as you know, the case that came up recently of the young African-American uh, man getting shot, uh, and, and I think one of the things is the church that, that I think as we become functionally multi-ethnic, not, um, not what I would call publicly multi-ethnic, um, we're going to we're gonna have to be in a room with each other and deal with each other's philosophies of life. Um, black folk, white folk, uh, our biracial folk, our other category, make sure we exalt because they want to make sure that they are acknowledged here. Um, those who uh, have different ethnicities uh, within their framework, which is growing population here, our Latinos, our, our Caribbean folk, our people from overseas that are here. We, we, we're going to have to be a community that one day, wh- we, we, we want to be on the, theo- on the same page theologically. Y- y- yet as we become a community of communities in the city and in the world, we have to be willing to work through how we process and judge differences. And as we look, y'all got y'all quiet this morning, okay, and, and and I think that's going to be very very important in relation to how peace is sought in the congregation. Many of us don't realize how much how we were raised and how much our ethnic background is more of our theology than the Bible is. That's right, that's right. Doc. And 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 and, rec- and that's on all sides. I'm not speaking just from the point of a black man. Uh, I'm speaking of a point, hopefully, as a pastor. Where all of us, every last one of us, have different presuppositions of how we make judgments. (laughs) One of the challenges with us asking that question is different ones of us have different, even our view of the justice system is different. And, and, and with all of those different views of the justice system and whatever unjustices we think um, w- that, that, that has happened in our culture and in our society, what's most important for us as believers, how many of you, all of you have raised your hand, is a, is a blood-washed Christian? Uh, raise your hand. Blood-washed, reborn again. Amen, amen, amen. And so, and so in light of that reality, there has to be continuity between us. <coughs> in order to walk together, we have to agree. And so, and so in light of that walking together and agreeing, we, we have to begin to recognize that in the larger scheme of a justice system out there, the church actually is called to be a, 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 a community of justice within itself. In, in, in other words, we are supposed to be a system of justice that is supposed to be a, a, a beacon of light to the world based on God's character. One of his characteristics that make him God is not just grace, it's not just mercy, it's not just holiness, it's not just glory, but it's just-is. It means he's, he's a just God. That means God always makes the right decision. God never makes bad decisions, okay? And and, and so the church is supposed to reflect that reality. And so we come to a passage where the people of God are all over the map because Corinth is a multi-socioeconomic church. There is some slight multi-ethnicity within the Corinthian church, but in the Corinthian church, there is pan-economics. That means you got different sides of the railroad track in the church, And in light of that, the Corinthians are in a context and culture where their justice system is literally corrupt. I mean, mean, there is no background commentary that I did not pan (coughs) <coughs> that, that, that that I looked at and began to study their justice system where I did not see that there was a deep sense of corruption within that but within corruption of God's comprehensive kingdom God always puts a conscious witness there to be a witness in the midst of any type of perceived or actual injustice to call the world back to his eternal rubric are you tracking with me and so in light of that, Paul comes here to this passage and he exposes the immaturity of the Corinthian church in yet another sector of their lives. He, he, he begins by talking about, which brings us to our first point on being a community of justice and peace, brings me to my first point. that We're going to be a community of justice and peace, number one of two points. We, we have to be willing to settle our disputes, We have to be willing to settle our disputes. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before unrighteous instead of the saints? It's interesting here that Paul is talking to the people of God about their philosophy of life and what they're doing. One of the things that he's doing is he's basically pointing back to their need to do biblical litigations on the issue with money that was supposed to be removed from the community. And in light of removing my my man from the community, he deals with a larger structural issue. He deals with the ability of the church in concert with itself based on where it is in time to engage in and deal with the issues that happen within it. And in dealing with issues that happen within it, it's interesting that God sets up a judicial system because a judicial system assumes one thing, that there's going to be mess. I don't care what church you go to, family, there's going to be mess. I don't care how suburban it is. I don't care how urban it is. I don't care how rural it is. I don't care how black it is, I don't care how white it is, I don't care how Haitian, Asian, Filipino, um, blue-collared, white-collared, no-collared, I don't care what side of the church it's in, you're going to deal with mess. Now, the question is not, will there be mess? The question is, will the church engage in lovingly challenging mess based on the holiness of God and the righteousness that was imputed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you tracking with me? And so, and, so, and so as Paul begins going through here, he's talking about to law. Now, he's not talking about the law of Moses here. He's talking about their judicial system of their day. And when he talks about going to law here, he says, Why would you take issues that you should be dealing with in the local church and taking it public before non-Christians? Now, we'll talk about stages of this and levels of this in a minute, but I really want you to get this. It's interesting that he used the word take it before unrighteous. Now, the word unrighteous is an interesting word uh, in in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. (laughs) There are times when the word based on context can be translated righteousness or justice. Context lets you know which it should be translated. Usually, my, one of my translating professors told me one time that usually, in my doctoral program, he said usually, people who are in a, 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 who translate the Bible in a middle to upper class strata usually translated righteousness, whereas people who are or below usually translated justice uh, in their translation, which is very very interesting. But but it's not an unfaithfulness to a Bible; it's just the sense of context. Now, righteousness points to the intrinsic fact that God has injected you with the fullness of his power and holiness to walk in a way that reflects the fact that he's redeemed you by the blood of Christ. That means you've been, you, you, you're righteous. However, that's intrinsic righteousness, but justice is extrinsic in the sense that it not only deals with how you behave, it also deals with how you judge situations, so, so that means that Christians are not to be stupid. You're, you're not called to, 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 to have a, a substandard view of being intellectual. We don't throw intellect out. We redeem it under the cross. And so in light of that reality, as Paul begins to talk about this, he says, he, says, he said, why would you take this into this unjust system? Now, what does he mean by that? Back in their day, now you got to understand in their day, it was, it was totally different. Because their, their, their system, everybody would have just said it was corrupt. It wouldn't have been no two sides of the room up in Corinth. It would have been like, if you said, how many of y'all think it's corrupt? Everybody would have went whack cow, put their hand right up in the air, every single person in the room. Now, what would what, what happen is, is their justice system played favorites to the rich. Okay? And therefore, the poor did not have a chance in the justice system. It's just like when somebody in our culture do something real, real bad. And you and you know they're guilty, you know they're guilty, you know that you know to the no to the no on the tenth power that they're guilty, but w- w- when you when you see all that evidence, guess what the first thing you say? They better have a good lawyer. Why do you say they better have a good lawyer? Because as guilty as you are, we know what you could be guilty of, but if you pay the right amount of money to get the right person to argue you. Out of the place of where your guilt is, you can either get a lesser charge or don't get charged at all. And so in their culture, the rich could afford lawyers. And so what was happening in the Corinthian church is there were two economics. There were the rich and there were the poor. There were the haves and the have-nots. So what would happen is is there was a financial beef or any type of beef that believers had with each other. The, the Christians would bypass God's kingdom court that he set up in the church. And what they would do is they would go to the world because the rich knew that if I took you outside the church of the world to take care of this thing, I'll be taken care of at the expense of you. And so Paul begins to say and he begins to challenge them with the fact This has God even created your ability to deal with your issues within the local church? And so we as believers have to begin to look at that and begin to walk in a biblical reality of dealing with the layers of issues. Now, later in verse 10 or 11, he's going to say, do you not know that the unrighteous or unjust will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, that idea of kingdom is God's comprehensive rule over everything. Stick with me. It's God's comprehensive rule over everything. So that means God's kingdom is not just the church. The church is a part of the kingdom, it's not the kingdom in and of itself. So that means that the earth is the Lord's, as a matter of fact, the universe is the Lord's, and so all of that is his kingdom, He had there's unredeemed kingdom and there's redeemed kingdom. And God has set our lives up, Dr. Tony Evans does a great job talking about it in his book, What a Way to Live, The Kingdom Agenda, and he talks about the tiers of government that God has created. The first tier, government, he talks about is self-government. Self-government. God has created everybody in the world with self-government. That's why one of the first things you get when you get saved is the fruit of the Spirit. The reason why you get the fruit of the Spirit is so you can walk in biblical self-governance empowered by God's strength. It's called self-control. That's called self-government. In other words, God holds us accountable by how we use him and us being created in the image of God to properly govern ourselves, okay? So that's why unbelievers, when they get judged, they'll get judged in, based on Revelation 20, based on the deeds that they did. They get judged based on the deeds that they did because God even holds unbelievers to self-governance because even though they're not his, they still are a part of his kingdom. It's weird, It's the weirdest thing. They're not a part of the redeemed aspect of his kingdom, but they're part of his kingdom, so God holds all accountable, and he'll also put on them what they hold themselves accountable for as what they would see as morality, Romans chapter 2. So first stage, stay with me, self-government. But then there's family government. That means mama and daddy were meant to raise children together and have different roles but have equality of value but difference in function. Mama and dad were supposed to be a government system. That that means that the bedrock of any culture, before God created broader government, he created self-government and family government. Why? Because if you get self-government right, that's relationship between you and God. If you get family government right, then all the other sectors of government will be saturated with people that were properly raised under God who can act right. Now, that's why you need to beat children. a to the men a to the men the timeout don't work sometimes that's a judicial act that means whenever you decide to smack your child guess what you're doing you're making a judgment and you're giving a penalty okay so 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 family is supposed to be the core of government then from family government is church government so, so the church is supposed to be made up of singles and families who have been properly raised or redeemed in a way that helps them to be able to have proper self-government, proper family government, but not only proper family government, that now we can get together and not act a plum nitwit in our issues, but because we've been raised right both naturally and spiritually, because, and I, because we dealt with issues, then guess what? We can come together and deal with our issues together. You can't be in the church and not deal with confrontation. I hear people all the time say, I'm not a a confrontational person. And so they try to use that as a way to not deal with their need to confront issues. Okay? And God deals with all of our stuff. He doesn't look past any of our stuff. He looks at our stuff and calls us to deal with it. And so, and, so, and so with that reality and dealing with that in Christ, we're called to be a community that deals with issues and not bypass stuff, not sweep anything under the carpet. That's why Paul says, that he's not just saying don't take it out there. He says deal with it in here, but he's saying deal with it in here in a biblically committed way to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, he says, he says here, he says, or do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? I, 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 that blows my mind. Now, when Jesus Christ comes back, you, you'll see some of that in Daniel chapter 7, and you'll see that in Jude, cha- uh, Jude. it's not a chapter, Jude 14, it's only one chapter, Jude, Jude 14, and you'll see the fact that believers will in some way judge the world. That rocks my mind. I don't know what is going to be. Can you imagine what you're, you're going to have on your linen outfit when Jesus comes back, chilling with him with your tattoo, with your new name on it, you know what I'm saying, chilling with him, robe dipped in blood, and you're going to be judging the Bible never makes that very, very clear, but he uses that principle of eternal judgment to play a role in how we view ourselves as a community of judgment and a community of justice to engage in our issues. And so he says, you need to begin dealing with those issues and not take them before the world. It's funny to me how people may not, you may not, you say, well, I ain't never took nobody to court. Yes, you have. Everybody in here on some level at one point in time, ever since they've gotten on social media has taken somebody to court. Okay, you don't believe me. I'm gonna make it plain. Hello, every, hello, Facebook friends. How's everybody doing today? Watch me now, cause I'm gonna be on a long post. So just forgive me in advance. I, you know what it's gonna be after that. Then they go into the church. Dot dot dot. Well, some people. I ain't talking about anybody in particular. But if it hits you, then wear it. Then they began to go through this long soliloquy about their issues with the church and somebody specifically that they should have put their big grown person drawers on to deal with. And instead of going to that person, they go on Facebook and put it out in front of everybody with their unsaved friends and everybody out on the joint. Then the thread opens up when it's over. Then all you see is 51 comments. You got to push view previous and you got to push view previous. (laughs) You got to put, it's so many, you know what I'm saying, on there that where, where you've taken and aired the dirty laundry of the church and you say, Now I digress. I'm done for my rant for the day. And you think you've done something when all you've actually done was open up and aired the dirty laundry of the church in a place where God never meant for it to be aired because you're so spiritually immature and trifling that you can't go to your brother or sister and tell them that they hurt you. You got. You got to be able to do. De- you you got to be able to go to somebody. You can't just stomp out, get mad, leave or whatever. You got to begin. You got to begin to say I'm going. You got to put on some grown man and grown woman pants and get to dealing with issues. You can't run all the time. Sometimes you're gonna have to stay yourself and sit your butt down somewhere and deal with something because you can say, well, they're hypocrites. Well, you're keep going there and somehow hypocrisy keeps following you. And so what happens is, is as believers, one of the things we have to be committed to is challenging this stuff and getting in each other's faces. So that's what Paul is, he said, I don't want you to air the dirty laundry of the church out there, right? He said, I want you to deal with it within the nature of the local church. I like the way he says, does anybody dare go to law before unrighteous instead of the saints? There's like this expectation that Christians aren't stupid. And he's promoting the priesthood of believers to be able to deal with issues and to deal with cases of issues. It's interesting, here he says, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Trivial cases can be translated small cases. There are cases that should not be tried with the church because it's outside, it goes beyond the jurisdiction that God has set up. Remember those levels I said self-government? Family government, church government, but then government also is anointed by God because Romans 13 said that God has appointed government, and in First Peter, I believe it's chapter two, verses fourteen through seventeen, said He is given to the government the ability to give spankings and to reward. That's what it says, literally. It says that. And so that, that doesn't mean that there aren't issues out there that government needs to deal with. He says, but there are trivial cases that the church needs to be able to deal with within itself. Now, the word uh, 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 that's this interesting for judge here is an interesting word. the word crino literally means to separate, to be able to separate. Because when, when you hear people talk, everybody gives their side of the story, and it's always leaned towards them. My man Solomon, he's a, I, I like that story he does where the two ladies come in and they fussing about the baby. You know what I'm saying? They going back and forth about the baby and, and whose baby it is. And Solomon, being wise based on God's spirit, he says, well, I'll just cut him in half and give you a half and give you a half. And then the, one mother said, nah, forget it you know, just let her have it. And the other mama um, said, yeah, go ahead and do it. And he knew that the one that said, go ahead and do it, it wasn't her child. He was able to separate. What, what God has given the church the ability to do is to separate what's true and what's not true, and for it to sit on you if you're the one that's lying. But if you're telling the truth, to be able to work through it and work through peace through it. And so to be able to work through that idea of judgment so that there can be a level of, uh, of, of development and mediators for peace. Verse 3 says, do you not know that we will judge the angels? Some believe unredeemed angels. I, I don't even, the Bible does, It's some things I like, I like the way the Holy Spirit does. Sometimes he'll just throw something out there and give no explanation of it. And what silly people do is they try to talk with God is silent. Let me just give you a quick hermeneutical principle. If God is silent on something, you should be too. Okay? So, 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 he, so he goes even further. And, and as he talks about this judgment, I, I got peacemakers to give me some help with this. There, there are two levels that peacemakers works through. One level is personal peacemaking, and then the larger one is assisted peacemaking. Now, personal peacemaking deals with three things. And he'll talk about it later. Overlooking an offense, I'll talk about that later. Reconciliation and negotiation. That's level one in your relationships with one another. Okay? Overlooking the offense, reconciliation, and negotiation. Okay? But then next, but then next is assisted peacemaking. When those three don't work, guess what? There needs to be mediation, arbitration, and accountability. Okay, they got to be me. That means there has to be some levels where other people get involved in that. So how do we do that at Epiphany Fellowship? We, our, our goal is for people to work some stuff out without it even have to be have any arbitration and mediation. We had some people that had some issues with each other here at Epiphany Fellowship that never went public, and they dealt with their issue privately, and none of us had to even. I got some counsel that gave them some counsel on it. They went back to each other and worked that thing out, and it turn out great, they kiss each other every Sunday morning, and they will go nameless because they dealt with it privately. It's very powerful when two believers can just deal with their issue, admit the issue, admit wrongs on whatever side, deal with it, and find a negotiable conclusion that satisfies both parties that leads to reconciliation. Are you tracking with me? Okay, and, and and so, but before that reconciliation can happen, there has to be repentance. And, 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 I mean, a wholesale repentance, not partial repentance, there has to be an admission of, the, repen- of the, the, the sentence, the issue, because you can't get saved without repenting. You can't even get saved without repenting. So, so, so then from there, you know, you got within our life groups. So a life, that don't mean say that the life group, in the middle of the life group. Someone, like, you know, I got an issue with, um, and then you go across, and there's like 50 people in the room, and you go major crazy ministry, which we've had before in life group. Hallelujah, praise God. But it should be some arbitration if you can't deal with it between each other with you and the life group leader helping mediate that issue and working to a resolve. Next stage up is either a group that we, the elders would assign or we would be that to help work through that arbitration. But it's always good when when, when that issue doesn't have to go up the chain. You see that idea even with Moses in Exodus 18 when Moses was, was ministering to over 2 million people from day to night. When did he have time to study the scriptures? All day, I mean, all day. And, and and Jethro said, man, you can't do this, dog. And so he basically helped him to set up a judicial system within Israel to help there to be layers of leadership that dealt with the issues over different levels of people so that all of the arbitration and mediation didn't come to him, okay? Are y'all still tracking with me? All right, just y'all silent today, so I want to make sure uh, that, that you're hearing me today. Verse, uh, verse, verse 4, he says, so if you have such cases... He says, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? He says, I say this to your shame. He said, can it be that there is no one among you? That means that this doesn't necessarily come before the church. Uh, the whole, can you imagine if all of us were a jury for a trial or something like that? It'd be weird, right? Because everybody would be all over the place. But it says, can, can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? And so, and, so, and, so, and so he goes further, and as he begins to go through it, he says, brother goes to law against brother, that before unbelievers. So can you imagine um, two believers going on Judge Judy? Now, I don't know if you watched Judge Judy before, but Judge Judy will cut you up, all right? She, she's machete ministry, all right? And um, you, the, can, can, now, say two people go on there, they're about to arbitrate something, Have, get, some, get some litigation going. And the first question she's going to ask is, so why are you here? You know, and what they're going to say, we go to the same church. W- what do you think Judge Judy, who has Tourette's syndrome when it comes to talking to people about their mess, um, what do you think she's going to say? She's probably going to holler for about five minutes and just wonder why they, you couldn't work through that issue. between. I've seen her do it with family members family members, real crazy. And so, in other words, I'm not saying she's an unbeliever, but it's being veiled to unbelievers. And so, what could begin to happen is, is the conscience of the church no longer becomes the conscience of the church because the people out in the world won't believe that the church is willing to deal with its issues. Now, Paul upgrades it. He upgrades it in the next section beyond working through the offense like this. It's crazy. Look at verse 7. It says, to have lawsuits He says, to have lawsuits, verse 7, at all with one another is already a defeat for you. He says, now, why not rather suffer wrong? Wow. So so he says, why not just, why not just take an L? Now, some of y'all looking at me like, nah, somebody owe me some G's. (laughs) I ain't taking no L, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You owe me three Gs. I want my three Gs. One, two, three. Three Gs in Jesus' name, right? I just said Gs, Gs, and Jesus. I need my money, right? But most of us wouldn't take an L. Most of us wouldn't take an L. He said, why not suffer loss? He says, he said, why would you go to, he said, because he's talking about the stuff that the church can't handle now. So he said, even if you went out there and you dealt, now I'm not talking about if somebody got raped, molested, murdered, like that That's." beyond the jurisdiction of the church. Church is not set up to judge murder cases. So that's not what it's for. We can speak prophetically to it if there's injustice, right? But, and we can speak to the justice system prophetically based on what God has said, right? But, 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 but the, the issues that need to be handled. And so what he begins to say, he said, why not be defrauded? It's interesting. I had a family member. They'll go nameless. I was in undergrad. I worked all summer. And I wanted my first car. I wanted that car so bad. I mean, y'all don't understand. (laughs) I wanted a car so bad. And I saved up this little few, you know, hundreds of dollars. Like your boy was grinding two, three jobs. Corporate America in the day. Movie theater at night. I was going crazy. Gave them the loot. Boom. Next week, they was in a car accident. Shattered the entire car. Couldn't recover it. So I said, can I have my money back? They spent the money. Now, I worked all summer for my money. But I ended up saying, you know what? I'm going to take an L. Now, I ain't, that's not normal. So I ain't trying to exalt myself. It ain't like I'm some super dude. Um, that's not normal. That was Holy Ghost blowage. All right. That was wind from heaven helping me, because I worked all summer, ain't have nothing left, ain't had enough for a sandwich, but I took the L. And for those of us who would say in relationships we wouldn't take the L in relation to what we're owed, um, it's interesting that 2,000 years ago, Christ Christ, you know, I mean, he came to an earth that he didn't mess up. He made to be pretty different than the one he came to, I think. He came here and got beat by people unjustly and went to an unjust system where one of his friends was paid off to rat him out. He got ratted on unjustly. People came at him. Now, what I like about Jesus, though, he was a little gangster with it, though, when they came and got him. That's what I like about him. He, he's like, Whom do you see? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. Dudes fell back. That was the only slaying in the spirit that happened in the Bible. Ain't <laughs> nobody fall out in the spirit in the Bible like that. They fell back fearful. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if Jesus opened up a piece of his skin, was like, ah, you know what I'm saying? Hit him with some of that eternal love, cow, and knocked them all. I don't know what it was, but they fell back. But they were shook. Cause he wanted you to let, he wanted to let them know that the only reason you taking me is because I'm letting you. He said, I give my life, so I am going to suffer wrong on your behalf, so I'm going to let you take me, and I'm going to die on the cross for something I didn't do. And I'm going to be quiet. The Bible says, Second Peter chapter, First Peter chapter one, verses twenty through twenty-one. It says, "And when reviled against, he didn't revile in t- return, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly." That's powerful. That means he didn't argue for himself. There are times in your life where you get wrong, and sometimes you trying to state your case makes things worse. So Some of us, our mouths get us in so much trouble. See, see, the, see the, my Bible says, hold your peace and let the Lord fight your battle. Yeah. See, some of us think we can fight pretty well. We some scrappy little jokers. But God, I, I, I don't know if he's ever lost a fight. And we need to let God fight on our behalf because sometimes... God is using your arbitration as a test to see whether or not you'll take an L for him, and there's always resurrections after suffering. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. always. Yeah. And, so, and so he says, why not be defrauded? But then he goes into an identity thing. It's crazy right here. It seems like Paul's in here, it almost seems disconnected. Almost seems literally disconnected from the text, but it's married, and it, it bleeds into how he's going to preach the next section. Check it out. He says in verse 7, he says to the law, to to, uh, uh, verse, this is verse 9, he says, but verse 8, I'm sorry, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That means people who are like this are going to hell. Now, I want you to feel the seriousness of this. He says, fornicators, basically sexually immoral, if you fornicate, you're going to hell. Stay with me, because y'all are getting scared. (laughs) He said, if you worship any other god except for God, you're going to hell. That's what he's saying. You don't inherit the kingdom of God. If you commit adultery, you're going to hell. He says nor men who practice homosexuality. He's not talking about have sexual desire. He's talking, about, he's talking about you act out homosexuality. You're going to hell. All of these are equal, though. He didn't say, like, the homosexual has a different place in hell than the idolater. See, y'all, don't walk out with that. See, he, it's all in the same list equally. Thieves and greedy folk, idolatry, all of it is equally evil, so don't demonize homosexuality because that's not your sin. He said, "He said, he said, he said, no thieves, no greedy, no drunkards. He said, no revilers, no swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God." Now, what's crazy about this is the Corinthians. As you look through the book, people are getting drunk at the Lord's table. People are in their home, like when you get into 1 Corinthians 11, they're homosexuals leading worship and enticing other homosexuals in the congregation who've walked out of the lifestyle. We're gonna get to that. We got people already that we just said, based on chapter 5, that's functionally sexually immoral. So what is, so, so high Paul on one hand call them saints, but then say if you're one of these types of people, you're going to hell. The tension's here. It's interesting. What he says next is powerful. He says, and such were some of you. Hold on, hold on. But they're doing it right now. Like, if you go through the book of Corinthians, they're doing every last one of these things. But he didn't identify them with their sin. Because they're acting outside of the sphere of the identity that God called them to. So he says, you're acting. He said, he said stop fronting on your eternal personality. In, in, in other words, he says, such were some of you. He said. He said. He said. I know you're. I know you. I know. I know you getting with other chicks. I know you wilding out with this, I know you getting drunk. But you were that. Somebody, you missed your shouting moment. See, see, you don't recognize that the sin that you do right now, even though you do it, you're not it. You were it. But listen to what he says. Why? Because God don't just speak stuff like this. Listen to what he says. He says. You were some of but you were washed. Wow. Wow, you not you are washed. You were washed, meaning that your cleansing from sin is a done deal. Did you hear that? You hear that? You're cleansing from sin. It's a done, like even what you do, it's a done deal. He said, you not are sanctified, you were, past tense, sanctified. In other words, when God washed you with the blood of Christ, you were set aside as a vessel of mercy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like Kool-Aid, but don't drink Kool-Aid out of a gold basin. It doesn't belong in there. Kool-Aid is below that vessel. Somebody going to get that on the way home. See, 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 God made vessels to have in it equal to what it is. Y'all going to get that on the way home. then look what he said. He said, you were sanctified. You were justified. You were declared righteous by God. God's wrath has passed over you. Therefore, you don't experience God wrath. That means even in the midst of your worst sin, if you're a believer, God's being gracious to you, but you're not not to live in light of what you were. You're supposed to live in light of who you are. So what does this all have to do with this idea of justice and peace? Because of what God has already done, we're supposed to be seeking peace with each other, seeking to commit, to walk with one another, And live, sorry about that, um, to live at peace. One of the things about this idea, in in closing, is that we're supposed to be at peace as far as we can. Y'all looking at me funny, I want to make sure. Um, As far as it depends on you. You can't control anybody else. That's why it's called (laughs) self-control. It's real simple. It's real simple. Your, your desire, you seek peace. And in, 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 this, in this idea of seeking peace, there has to be full admission of the issue in order for there to be reconciliation. Reconciliation without repentance is peace faking. Right. 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 But reconciliation with repentance is peacemaking. That's right. That's right. And so let's not be a peace faking community. Let's be a community where we're going to deal with our issues because Christ already dealt with them on the cross 2,000 years ago. Father God, we thank you. We honor you. We bless you for the gift of Christ and the gift of life comes through the Lord Yahshua. I am so thankful and so excited that we get to be a community that deals with our issues because it's easy to be in any city, Like It's easy to be personally not deal with our issues. It's easy to in family, I mean, so many of our families just walk in not dealing with issues. And then we come to the church, and then we got three layers of government that's corrupt. And then we come into a fallen world, and we see unjust court cases and all different types of things. So we, we see all the layers of your kingdom seeming to be unjust. But you called us as a new community of believers to be a just community, where we live in light of the powerful message of the gospel of peace, where we commit ourselves to communicating the life that Christ gives and how we apply it to our relationships with one another. And so, God, as we as we transition to our to, to, to transitioning out today, God, I just pray, God, I'm so excited about the 100 or so people that's gonna be in our New Covenant community class. And um, I pray that they don't have an idealized view of the church. Uh, Because when the honeymoon is over, they'll see the real. And in us working through, one of the things I like about being a believer is we're not stuck in being a mess. We, We are empowered because we were washed, we were sanctified. We were justified to not walk in the current debauchery of sins that we are currently walking in. And so, God, today, maybe there's someone here that you want God to be a peacemaker with you. And you need to make peace with God. Making peace with God isn't being on your deathbed and, like, just talking through some stuff and saying by yourself and say, I made my peace with God because I said, whatever. No, there's only one way to have peace with God. It's not made by you. You don't make peace. Christ is peace. And the way he became our peace is on the cross, our sins were placed on him. And when our sins were placed on him, God focused his anger towards our sin on the sinless Christ who took on our sin, who became sin on our behalf. And when he was killed and bruised for our transgressions and our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. On the third day, he got up from the grave with all power in his hands. So if you're here today and you want to put your faith in what Christ did on the cross for you by his death and his burial, in this resurrection that God says, I want to restore peace in our relationship and crush the beef so we can be in a relationship forever. Please, please do me a favor. Slip your hand in the air so that we can share Jesus Christ with you even more. If you want to make a commitment to Jesus today, whether you're in the balcony or on the floor, you're saying, I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to be able to be in a relationship with the living God where I can govern myself according to his principles, according to his life, and to walk with him because of what he's done for me. If you're here today, you want to do that. Slip your hand in the air. We'd love to pray for you. If you're here today and you're a believer, but you're saying, I want to boldly face some issues in relationships with believers where I can face these issues and deal with these issues with Christ's power behind me. I want to deal with them. I want to pray for you. If you want to do that and you want me to pray for you, just stand to your feet. I just want to pray for you. If you've got a major issue or any type of issue with a believer that you need, I see you, brother. Thank you for standing up. Thank you, sis, for standing up. Anybody else? If you've got a major issue, saying Major or even minor. I see y'all. I see y'all. I see y'all. Why don't y'all come on up so I can pray for you. Come on up to the front. I want to pray for you. If you have any issue, you're saying, I, I want to deal with my bitterness. I want to deal with my anger towards another believer who hurt me, and I maybe didn't deal with it biblically. Maybe we dealt with it, but it feels unresolved, and you want some resolution to that issue. Maybe you know of a situation that you want to stand in the gap for somebody. Why don't you do that today? We said, I do. I do wanna, do wanna deal with some issues. I wanna deal with some issues, with other believers in a, in a godly way. Maybe you've blown it, and you, you haven't. You've aired the dirty laundry of relationships with Christians publicly, and you wanna, you want you want just God to just strengthen you and transform you, and even restore a Christian witness among your unsaved and unchurched friends. Amen. Father, I pray for these who have come forward, and I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would touch each and every person, Lord God, who have issues with a particular believer and want to not scale over it, but really, really deal with it, even if they're not a confrontational person, God. In many ways, and on some levels, many of us aren't either, but God, I'm praying today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that you would give them the strength to go and move towards peace with their neighbor. Not worrying about what their response is going to be because that's not their responsibility, God. Their responsibility is to honor you through going on obedience, to putting down this sacrifice and going to attempt to work through peace with their neighbor, God. And God, I pray that you would you would meet them in that experience that you would meet them in that exchange some people you may need to write down, you might need to write it in letter form so that when you get before them, you could read it in front of them because you don't know whether you'll be able to say everything you need to say in a godly and loving way. And Lord God, I pray that they wouldn't try to retaliate against the pain that they've experienced. That they would try to return evil for evil. But God, maybe it's maybe there they've done some wrong as well on that side, and and there needs to be mutual, mutual repentance so that reconciliation can be authentic and real. And God, I'm excited to see you do this in a powerful way to change. Help help everybody up here to to not take this for granted, but to say, I'm not going to stop until I seek peace with my brother or sister in Christ, whether it's a family member, church member, or someone at another church or somewhere else. Lord, help your people to seek peace based on your call in us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.